If you are newish to LEFC, I'm Nicholas Todd. I'm the Minister of Mobilization, and it's a privilege to serve on staff here. We are in week four in our series on prayer. And in that time, we have heard some of why we pray. We've been challenged to pray, and we have heard what is prayer. Now, prayer is this conversation between God and people, children, women, men, connecting with and relating with the creator in conversation. What should that conversation look like? What ought you say when having a conversation with God? Today the sermon's called Shoulds and Oughts. What should that conversation look like? What ought you say when having a conversation with God? Here's one. Do you ever listen to someone pray and just hope you could pray like them? It's happened to me before. I've been thinking about how I pray and what I have seen and experienced in my life regarding prayer and this conversation with God. I more intentionally started to engage prayer when I was in college. Don't let my words confuse you. Yes, I very intentionally with my engagement in college uh, started thinking about prayer, but I had a different angle on the prayer scene. Um, It was mostly a behavioral observation and then commentary. Um, I had grown up a Christian, I knew the culture, knew how to behave in church, but I just started listening differently. And new phrases and thoughts came into my ears once I hit college. And we had these words and phrases and behaviors that at the time were really buzzy and they sounded really good. And they made us or whoever else said it or did it, made them look like they know what they were doing. I'm a little bit older now. And uh, these sorts of cultural things still exist. They still do. They exist here. Even. So I made a list of them um, for our review. I enjoyed making this list, just to be clear. Um, anytime I can kind of poke fun of myself helps me to, to have a good focus on who exactly I am. So I am guilty of some of these things on this list. Um, some are just observations of what I've witnessed. Um, I don't think any of what I'm about to say is out of bounds for mentioning. Are you ready? Hmm. Yeah, you'll see what conviction comes from that one. I heard a no. That's fantastic. So when praying, you might say, hear, or experience some of these things. Father God. It's a phrase that's, that's used, but it's, it's used often not just once, as in like the opening of Father God, and then that's the last time. You say it two, three, four, five, six times. So Father God, we come to you today, Father God, because we know that you are our Father God. And Father God, I just want to talk to you. Now, imagine how strange that would be if you talked to a person that way. If I was talking to my wife, Kim, man, I am hungry for dinner, Kim, and Kim, um, I want to help Kim. Kim, what can we might do for dinner to get it sooner on the table, Kim? It's it's overly, it's done over and over and over. Um, It almost feels like a stalling tactic at times because you don't know what you're going to say. Um, Another one, uh, in college, I remember this one. Uh, My roommates were ruthless about this one. The extra breathy prayer. (laughs) If you're extra breathy, you must mean it more, which we can also tie to tears. If you don't get extra breathy and tearful in your prayer, then do you really mean it? Um, Other phrases we might hear, hedge of protection. Have you heard hedge of protection? Uh, We're talking about landscaping, if you're not sure. Um, You might hear the evil one, the evil one. We will see that in our text today. Um, And even this one that that Pastor Tony brought last week, not my will, but your will. 
Other things we can do. I've even done it already just today is when I just want to go to the Lord because I just want this. So it, it's, it's a prayer of justs. Um, as the, basically the, part of the, my job as the minister of mobilization is to work with missionaries. So if I really want to get my stuff in there, I could do a missionary name drop right now. Um, I could say something like unreached. That's a good buzzword. Or, or this one, um, I could use a Greek reference. <laughs> Greek or Hebrew. Um, I could say oikos. Heard that one before? Um, another one is when people are praying and they use like all the nicknames for God. So they might start with the great physician, but then they start talking Adonai, Elohim, Jehovah Jireh. And my thought is, man, how many names are there? I need a translator to help understand this better. Here's one my, my father once brought out that, uh, for me to recognize. It's edit editorializing to the congregation if I'm here on stage. So um, you editorialize for change. An example might be, thank you, God, for the great summer weather. Weather, you can pray for that one too. Uh, thank you, God, for the great summer weather and the chances we had to go swimming. I think of those now that still wear their flip-flops and swim trunks to church. <laughs> would you work in their hearts? That's what I would call editorializing in prayer. There's also those times, or not necessarily in this environment, but uh, you're with a group of people, and they say, let's pray, and they reach for your hand. So then, so then you got some hand-holding prayer. And then it might get even more awkward if they're an interlocker. The, <laughs> the person wants to weave their tender fingers in with yours, and you're thinking, I don't know this person. Depending on uh, music that you listen to, you might start using song quotes. So you might be thinking, like, Lord, you are a good, good father. You're a good, good father. So good. A good, good father. And the problem is if you go down the line of always using quotes, then all of a sudden um, you've, you've, you've branched out of any sort of Christian music scene, and you're like, oh, we have to pray just to make it today. <laughs> We've got to pray. Because, Lord, you are just too legit to quit. Hey, hey. Uh, another one that I've started to see more and more uh, with the, the use of technology is glow prayer. Do you know what glow prayer is? When you have taken some notes on items of prayer, you're, you're tasked with praying for something. And so in preparation, which is a great thing, um, you prepare on your phone or your tablet. And then when it's time to pray, when it's time to pray, um, your face lights up as you use your tablet to read. And so right now, like, I, I can't see my, my glowing, but everyone else is kind of wondering, oh, did, did a notification just come up? Because the image changed ever so slightly. So that's, thank you, technology, for glow prayer. Um, sometimes people use five, six, or seven-syllable words. That, make us, that makes us sound like something. I tried to think of a six-syllable word. Um, eschatological was one. If you're going for bonus points, you could throw in an L-Y at the end, and it becomes eschatologically. Boom, seven syllables. You could just say end times, two syllables, but you went with eschatologically, and it's, it's I'm not sure what it is. I mean, the, the Lord knows what it is. Why do, we, why do sometimes we feel like we have to use these huge words? And this one, this one, what a blessing to my soul. Uh, junk food to the nourishment of our bodies. <laughs> We're not too far from Philadelphia, famous for its Philly cheesesteaks, and you order one Whiz With. That's a Philly cheesesteak that has cheese Whiz and onions. 
do you, do you really think praying for jarred, shelf-stable cheese sauce, where cheese is no longer even on the ingredient list, do you think praying for it is going to make it nutritionally valuable to you? An elder said that they can know your theology by listening to your prayers. I agree, that's great. And praying for junk foods, the nourishment of your body does communicate a theological position. You still believe in miracles. <laughs> I did mention uh, bonus points um, earlier, and um, I made a game out of the list. Anyone ever play bingo in church? What would it look like to combine bingo and some of the items I just listed? Well, first of all, you claim that free space. You got to start there. And then you listen closely as someone just, they, they just pray for the swim trunk wearers, and then they pray for the potluck meal of all desserts, and then you give it back to God with not my will but yours. That's five on the diagonal. Bingo. And if we're going to practice righteousness in front of each other with prayer, then I'm going to be an interlocking, cheese whiz eating, Praise song quoting, God nickname using, Greek referencing, scripture citing, Father God repeating, glow praying machine. Let's end in prayer today. Not exactly. So there are moments where we might honestly think that that is what God desires from us. It's a checklist of, of how exactly to pray. Now, if, if you have done any of these things, I have done these things, there isn't anything wrong with it. There's some beautiful gems in the list I made. But what about our shoulds and oughts? What should we pray? What ought we pray? Today, let's look at Matthew 6, 1 through 13. If you got a Bible from any one of the ushers, that's on page 678. While you're turning there, Matthew 6, 1 through 13. Matthew 6 as a whole is in the Sermon on the Mount. That's Jesus' 25-point sermon that is in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The 25 points rattled people. It shook them up. And their response at the end of these 25 points was just sheer amazement at what he said. It was culturally challenging. It would change their life, but at the same time, they felt a freedom. And people wanted the kingdom of heaven, mentioned specifically in chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus was ushering this kingdom in, and he was explaining to the crowds what this new approach to life would look like and what righteousness was to look like. So we'll have a small piece of that Sermon on the Mount this morning in Matthew 6. I've broken it into two sections, and we'll first be looking at verses 1 through 8. Follow along with me in your scriptures. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think 
they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Let's start in verse 1. Verse 1 says not to practice your righteousness in front of others. And when I see that, not to practice your righteousness, I ask the question, what righteousness is there to practice? How does this group of verses help define that for us? So Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience, which can give us a clue as to what to study. So what Jewish practices are there that communicate righteousness? So Jesus gives us a list. He gives us a list throughout chapter 6. The first is giving to the needy. This is found in verse 2. Giving to the needy, charity. The second is praying. That's found in verse 5. And the third is fasting. It's found in verse 16, but we won't be making it that far today. Jesus gives instructions on all of these things, even consistent with it all the way out through fasting later in the chapter. And he says that these practices should be done in secret. Any act of righteousness is not to be done so that others can see it or hear it. But the act of righteousness should still be done. Jesus didn't say stop giving charity. He didn't say stop praying. He didn't say stop fasting. It was how it was to be done that needed to change. Do it in secret. So in 2 through 4, Jesus specifically addresses giving to the needy. In 5 through 8, Jesus addresses prayer. And he applies the same behavior to prayer. He says, find a private space, be unseen. Some of you might be familiar with fixed hour prayer, times of the day or windows of time in the day that you commit to prayer. The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, seven times a day, I praise you. How does that initially hit you to pray seven times a day? Now, we don't know the exact times that this meant, but five fixed times of prayer that could exist when you wake up, maybe about 6 a.m. You have a mid-morning coffee or snack at 9. You pray before your noon meal. Maybe you have an afternoon snack. I'm a snack-focused individual. (laughs) And then pre-dinner at 6 p.m., and we have five right there. You could add a moment before evening sleep as well, and we're up to six times of prayer in a day. Now, if the psalmist did literally pray seven times in a day, the most righteous would be out and about, going about their day to space it out evenly, that they would probably be seen. They would show how faithful they are to be righteous for others to see. If in your day you realize that you must stop what you're doing to pray, it might become a show. It might be on a street corner. It might be in the public square. It could even be at church. You don't want to look like a fool, so you use the big words with the popular teachings of the time to sound like you know what you're doing. And I believe this is what Jesus is addressing. He's addressing the behavior that has been witnessed by people. And he says, let's do this differently. Let's stop this. People and prayer needs to be done differently than what is happening. Jesus has a great 
handle on the definition of prayer. His prayer life, the posture of his heart toward God the Father, his commitment to personal conversation with God the Father is shown in a number of texts in the book of Luke. The ones that came to mind in preparation for today. It's Luke 5. That's one of them. 5.16. Jesus is becoming more and more popular and the crowds are getting bigger. And then we hit verse 16 and it says, yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. People want him, they want to hear him, they want him to do the ministry that he's come to do, but he leaves. He leaves the crowds, he leaves the popularity and prays. Luke 6, Jesus selects the 12 apostles. But before the selection, do you know what he did? What's our series about? Prayer. Prayer. There it is. There's the answer. But before the selection, he prayed. Verse 12, he went to the mountain to pray and spent the night in prayer. Not a whole lot of people on that mountain. Again, he withdraws to speak with God the Father. And Luke 9, specifically verse 29, I had preached about the transfiguration in our last series. In preparation for as bright as the sun, extreme explosive Jesus not a calm, glowy Jesus, but explosive Jesus, he prays. It was as he was praying that he became so shockingly radiant. Luke 19. This one is a little different. I like this one a lot. Jesus' commitment to prayer and desire for people to converse with God wasn't just for self or the Jews. It was bigger than that. Luke 19, 45 and 46 is a moment after Jesus enters into Jerusalem. It's after his triumphal entry. And he goes to the temple and sees something that shouldn't be. He begins to throw out the Jews that were selling things in the courts of the temple. He says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. I have heard some teaching before where they say that because the Jews are selling things at a spot in the temple and involving money, they are stealing from the Lord. But what about the house of prayer comment? What does that mean? I believe the phrase about it being a house of prayer and making a den of robbers is very closely connected. They're intimately connected in Christ's rebuke. The purpose of the space where the sellers had set up was located where the Gentiles were allowed to pray. Theologian D.A. Carson writes, the Greek expression den of robbers does not suggest thievery, like stealing from the Lord, but zealotry, meaning creating a nationalist stronghold. Because the sellers set up in the court of the Gentiles, they have excluded Gentiles, who might have come to pray to the Lord. The space for Gentiles to pray was robbed from them. This is a moment where Jesus is fighting for humankind to be able to connect with God the Father in prayer, regardless of your heritage. If the posture of your heart is open, receptive, strangely warmed, and you're ready to release your own goals and your own kingdom of self, Jesus protects your right, your divine right to converse with God. Let's get back to Matthew 6. Let's look at 9 through 13. Jesus has just talked about prayer, where to pray, and now communicates how to pray. He gives some advice 
and then a concrete example. Follow along in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is what we most often call the Lord's Prayer. Tradition has added an end to it, a benediction, a doxology. There's a similar Lord's Prayer in Luke, not identical, but very, very similar, that Jesus used in response to his disciples when they said, how do we pray? Jesus doesn't preach in Matthew or teach in Luke how to pray with anything too long. He gives a concrete example, nothing about being more faithful. No secret formula for getting God to do what you want. No acrostics like acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. No big summary of just, just talk to God. I've even said that before to people. Just talk to God. And the acrostic acts is a great thing. But the more people I meet, the wider view I have of what makes sense to some and others. What if I tell someone to just talk to God, just have a conversation with God, but they are a miserable conversationalist. <laughs> what if conversation scares them? What am I supposed to say? So the description, just talk to God, I don't think that description helps everybody. Jesus gives an example of prayer that deconstructs us and then builds us back up. Let's look at a number of the words in the prayer, starting with the very first word, our. Our Father who art in heaven, our. You are not alone in this. As you possibly retreat and step away to pray as an individual, you do not pray alone. Your prayers are intimately tied to the people around you because there is influence in your life and from your life. You are connected to the church, this church, this body of believers when you pray. This whole prayer is less about me and more about us, our, we. Our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Hallowed is the next word. What are we taught from youth about pursuit of happiness, finances, or career? What does our career path look like? What are we supposed to look like as leaders? Well, from a very young age, we get this idea that being known and recognized brings value, status, and identity. The inverse of that, not being known and not being recognized is a bad thing. And for love and respect to occur, we must be known. It feels incredibly hurtful to us if we don't get appreciation or some kind of respect we think is due us. But that's the building of our own fame. It is the hollowing of our own name. Our value is not in where we are at professionally or influentially. Our value is built on the love of the highest authority in heaven and earth. So we give up our rights. Our right to respect our right to being known, our right to what we think is owed us so that our Father in heaven would be hallowed. 
that God's name be known, that God's greatness be seen, that perhaps the light of God in our life would come out from us and give value to others. This elevates God to a rightful place and puts all of creation in its appropriate place. Hallowed be God's name. Next phrase is your kingdom come, your will be done. Hang out here for a second. Just like Pastor Tony has challenged us to pray, thy will be done, this hits the same chord. You must give away your own kingdom building so that your life is committed to God's kingdom building. We're not so excited to allow, to allow someone else's timing. This is saying to God, when we say, your kingdom come, your will be done, we say, you set the agenda. You set the plans. Here on earth, I will dwell here. Your will will be done in my job. Your will be done in my children. Your will be done in my finances. Your will be done in this loss. Your will be done in this marriage. Your will be done in my singleness. I want this. I want that. Yet your will be done. May we build God's kingdom, not our own. The next phrase, give us this day our daily bread. We only have this day right now. And this phrasing shows us, reminds us, that as the future presses in on us and we get distracted from the now, we have strayed from the moment that God has given us. Give us this day our daily bread. This is my need in this moment. I am not praying for the future, but I'm praying for right now my daily needs. As the bread of life, our daily intake and sustenance comes from God. One of my favorite prayers is, from a children's book where one person prays, thank you for life and that which sustains it. Amen. That's it right there. Thank you for life and that which sustains it. In that moment, recognizing what you have in your hands or in your heart that brings you from this moment to the next. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is more a longer phrase that looks at the past and our own response to being wronged. I like the connection between forgive us as we forgive others. Again and again and again, it's placement, it places us as individuals in a place of humility. And humility is tough. Humility is tough for everybody. And this is part of the Lord's Prayer. This is, this is part of how the Lord's Prayer works when we remember how much we have been forgiven. And when we start with remembering how much we have been forgiven... And we desire for our relationship to be righted with Jesus. Their perspective on ourselves fo fo forces us, excuse me, forces us to recognize how we might be withholding forgiveness because of our own kingdom building. Think of it this way. I can forgive because I have been forgiven every time. This is a lesson I keep preaching to myself. I can forgive because I have been forgiven every single time. The last phrase of this section of Scripture we'll take as a whole. We've already addressed the present-day needs. We've looked at our past, and now we consider the future. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Just because we follow Jesus doesn't mean we don't have temptation or trials. We should expect them. I like how one author put it. The presence of these things in life, testing, temptation, trials, does not mean that God is against me. 
They indicate the kingdom of God can yet come another place in my life. Hear that again. The presence of these things in my life, testing, temptation, trial, does not mean that God is against me. They indicate the kingdom of God can yet come in another place in my life. I feel like it's saying, don't let evil leak out into this world as I work with my own two feet that walked right into a situation of temptation. I got myself into a situation and the deceiver has distorted reality. If we are not tempted to turn angry about being victimized, the deceiver will tempt us to feel safe for our own arrogance. Just as dangerous. And then we're back to building our own kingdom. This is the Lord's Prayer. And this is what Christ gives us in response to how do we pray. Something for reflection. With this beautiful response to how to pray with the Lord's Prayer, ask yourself the question, what stops you from praying? Do you have some insecurity that prevents you from speaking to the Father? Maybe you don't think you have the right words. Maybe it's not even about words. Maybe it's just your own busyness and your hurry. Maybe you're just tired. When you finally take that moment to sit down, you're, you're ready to sleep. We want to escape as well for some things. Maybe it's in reading. Maybe you decide to read instead. Maybe you watch TV. Maybe you play with apps on your phone. Maybe you watch sports. Maybe you're just angry with God. Maybe you're a high justice person and you feel like there has been injustice on my life and I can't pray about it right now. I'm not sure for everybody what stops them from praying, but reflect on what stops you from playing, praying. Another idea is perhaps we don't have anything spiritual to say to God. The flowery words that individuals might say can intimidate us. We have to sound a certain way for God to hear us. And it's just not true. No flowery words needed, no repeated phrases, no secret handshake, no Greek, no Hebrew, no seven-syllable words that make people think you went to a seminary. There are no shoulds or oughts as we think about it, we as humans, so that we might get what we want, which sounds like manipulation of God. It's the secret handshake prayer. If I do this, I get what I want, and that's just not how it works. By all means, we have, if you have the Greek, if you have the education, the Hebrew, the seven-syllable words that communicate clearly to where God is in your heart, use those things for your conversation with God. That's between you and God as you practice your righteousness in private. We can all pray with the words we have. Every single one of us. We can all pray with the words we have. But what does God want from us in our prayers? The words you already have, I've said it. Sincere words of struggle, joy, indifference, anger, self-righteousness, confusion, boredom. What sincere words can you communicate with God this week? 
That time of confession, saying exactly where you are at, can lead to a place of humility that can not only work in your heart, but can unite the church for the glory of God. If you know where you actually belong in the spectrum of God's creation, it's hard not to want to work together with other believers. It's hard to think you can do life on your own. It's a commitment. Prayer is. It's a commitment that church is built on God alone, that God's kingdom is our goal, and that we still have a lot to learn. It's the community of God, desiring God for the glory of God, advanced by sincere prayer to God. The Lord's Prayer has the potential to give new perspective. It deconstructs us before building us back up through the work of the church. If you don't know what to say when praying, if you've taken the challenge that was given weeks ago that came from this to pray five minutes a day, but, but you're just not sure what to say, consider starting with the Lord's Prayer. It takes about 30 seconds. In five minutes, you can say it 10 times. It puts you in your place in all of creation and God in God's place in all of creation. If you say it 10 times in five minutes, how do you think that message would stick with you through the day? How might it impact how you talk to your neighbors, your friends, and everybody around you? I invite you to close our time today together saying the Lord's Prayer on the screen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If someone, if someone shared scripture with you earlier and you want to talk to them about that scripture, find them, chat with them. We have people underneath the cross to pray with you if something struck you and you have that need and desire. Go with the Lord this week. We'll see you next week Sunday as we continue our series on prayer.